It is common to all. And when it happens to you, it will not make you unique. I'm referring to suffering. Throughout the Bible, we find that there were many men and women who endured suffering. If I were to ask you to think about a few people from the Scriptures, whether the Old Testament or in the New Testament, who, who suffered, what individuals would come to mind? I think we could stay here for an hour and talk about a variety of individuals who, at some point in time in their lives, suffered. One of the individuals I was thinking about, and Ken and I did not talk about this, but uh, Jochebed or Jochebed, she was a woman that Ken talked about earlier this morning, a mother living in the days and, uh, when the Israelites were in Egypt, and certainly the Israelites, they were going through a lot of suffering at that time. Imagine doing what she had to do for her child. And what about Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel? Hannah was praying to God fervently on a regular basis that she would be able to have a son. And that would have been very traumatic and difficult for a woman then and even now who desires to have a child and yet was not able to. There are so many other individuals. What about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? Paul was often shipwrecked. He would be hungry at times. He would have to be lowered down from a window to escape individuals who were trying to kill him. He had a thorn in the flesh. We could go on and on about individuals. What about the nation of Israel? They often suffered, and they suffered because of their own wicked choices. In our Bible class, the last two Sundays, what about Stephen? He was stoned to death because of his faith. Obviously, we need to talk about our Savior, Jesus. He suffered. We go back to the cross on a regular basis, and we are reminded that Jesus suffered. But if there's one individual that we may think of more than anyone outside of Jesus Christ, and one book in particular, do you know who I might be referring to when it comes to suffering? It's probably a man by the name of Job. Were you thinking about Job? Open up your Bible to the book of Job. When you think about Job, Job is a book, it's a book about suffering. And tonight we're going to look in the book of Job for, for a few minutes. And I want us to understand some things about this challenge, this problem of suffering. Now, if I were to ask you, how familiar are you with the book of Job? I think many of us would know some of the basic facts or maybe all of the details surrounding the book. Many individuals are familiar with chapters 1 and 2. If somebody said, okay, give me a summary of what we find in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, I think we could do that fairly quickly, right? Job was a righteous man. He was a rich man. He was holy. He loved the Lord. He had a really big family. He was concerned about his children. And he was the one who worshiped God. And he had difficult days would come upon Job. He would lose all of his children. He would lose all of his wealth. And yet in chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's still worshiping God. In chapter 2, things would get a little bit more challenging for Job. He would lose his health. That's a big deal when you start losing your health. His wife would tell him to curse God and die. And yet he would still remain with the Lord. I think many of us are familiar with that part of the story of Job. What about chapter 42? The end of the story. We know what happened while he had lost his children. And he would never forget about those ten children that he had. He would be blessed with more children. And he would be around to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he had now a double a portion of all of the possessions that he had lost. Things ended well for Job. I think a lot of times we're familiar with Job's chapter, Job chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 42. But what about Job chapters 3 through 41? Let me ask you, have you ever read the entire book of Job? I say that because reading the entire book becomes extremely beneficial for us as we think about this problem of suffering. 
chapters 3 through 41 really gives us a bird's eye view of what Job endured in the midst of suffering, in the middle of suffering, while he was in the storms that we read about and know about in his life. A number of years ago, I Dallin Road, I taught the book of Job, and I, and I called the class, What to Do When There's Nothing You Can Do. And we went through all 42 chapters of the book, and it started off really strong. But once we kind of got in the middle of the book, it got a little bit challenging for some people. Because at times, the, the, the middle part of the book can be a little bit repetitive. You have Job talking, and then you have his three friends talking, and then they go back and forth. And at times, it almost feels like the same thing is being said over and over again. We went through reading the, the poetry books in the Old Testament a number of years ago at Dallin Road. And, and the Psalms, I think individuals did fairly well in. But when we got to books like the book of Job, again, it began to get a little bit more challenging. And yeah, I want to encourage you that maybe we should be spending more time when we think about this man named Job and those middle chapters, chapters 3 through 41. Because one day we are going to find ourselves in the midst of suffering. We're going to find ourselves in the middle of suffering. Maybe someone is going through something at this very moment. Maybe you've gotten a, a diagnosis with respect to your health, or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's something going on with someone else or your job or whatever the case may be. Maybe there is someone right here, right now, in the middle of a storm. If that is the case, and there are some things that all of us need to know what to do and how to respond when we find ourselves in the middle of suffering. And so tonight I want to talk about in the midst of suffering. Now, if you were here last Sunday, we uh, did a lesson called The Causes of Suffering. And we looked at a variety of reasons as to why we may suffer. Do you guys remember those five points? Everybody, please say yes. Okay, there are five points. We talked about how sometimes uh, we may suffer because of someone else's choices. We may suffer because of time and chance. We may suffer because of the devil. We read about that in Job chapter 1. At times we may suffer because of foolish choices. And sometimes we may be suffering because of our sinful decisions. And God, as a result, is punishing us. I asked you guys if there was something that I overlooked or missed to let me know. And after services, I actually talked to a couple of people. And somebody reminded me, what about, what about Ecclesiastes chapter 12? As we get older, what happens? Our bodies begin to change. Our, we lose our eyesight, our, vi our vision changes, our hearing changes, our body begins to grow old and weak. And oftentimes we experience a lot of suffering as a result of that. While it's good to understand why we may suffer with respect to causes, what do we do when we find ourselves in the middle of suffering? Well, that's what I want us to consider for a few minutes. And so we're going to look at Job. We're going to look at his sufferings, his thoughts, his reactions to his situations that will teach us a lot about what to remember. As we talk about suffering and how we go about handling ourselves in the middle of suffering, I want you to begin, I want us to notice in Job chapter 4 that we can learn something from one of the friends of Job. As we think about suffering, it's going to be important, number one, uh, that we're always careful about what we think and what we say about God. We need to be careful what we think and say about God. When we look at Job chapter 4, and Job had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They were with Job as he was suffering. They sat with him for a week, which is a great thing to do. When somebody's going through something difficult, they just sat with him. They didn't really say that much. But in Job chapter 3, Job began to speak and he began to talk. And by the time you get to chapter 4, Eliphaz said, okay, now i got to say something. And I want you to notice what Eliphaz said as to why Job was suffering. 
Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered in verse number one. He said, if one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? He's talking to Job. But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Job, throughout your life, you've been able to help so many individuals, but now this is happening to you. Are you going to be impatient as I talk to you? In verse number 6, he said, Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent. So what is Eliphaz thinking as to why Job is suffering? You see it? Job, you're suffering because of some sin that you've committed. Uh, the innocent don't perish. Who, who has ever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Job, you have brought this upon yourself. This is why you are suffering at this moment. Now, while Eliphaz was confident in this, as were his other, uh, Job's other friends, we find that he was just not correct. In Job chapter 42, I want you to notice at the end of the story, turn over to Job chapter 42, we find the Lord is speaking, and he's going to speak to the friends of Job, and I want you to notice what he said in verse number 7. In Job chapter 42 and verse number 7, the, the Bible says, God said it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant has. So God had to correct him. What you've been saying about me and what you've been saying about Job's situation is simply not true. They made some false conclusions about God. And sometimes that can happen when we find ourselves in the middle of suffering, that we sometimes think that maybe we have all the answers and we know exactly why this is happening. And that's what Eliphaz and the other guys were thinking, but they had the wrong conclusion. Now, when we think about Job, Job never cursed God. He remained with the Lord. He did not depart from him. But I think it's safe to say that Job struggled. He struggled with the situation that he found himself in. And he would often ask God the question, why? Why am I going through this? I want you to notice the intensity of his language. Go back to Job chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse number 11. In Job chapter 3 and verse number 11, and we're going to look at two verses here. Look at Job 3 and verse number 11. This is Job speaking here. Job said in verse number 11, Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb, and expire? It would have been better for me if I would just died when I was born. And verse number 20, he said, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? Lord, why am I still alive? In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, listen to the words of Job again. Job then answered in verse number 1, Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore, my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. Their poison, their poison my spirit drinks. God is shooting arrows at me. That's what he's saying. God is attacking me, essentially. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job is, he's confused with what's going on. In verse number 9, he would go on to say, Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Just take me out of this situation. Why are you shooting me with these arrows, Lord? Why are you hurting me at this time? In chapter 7, in verses 20 and 21, listen to what Job said here. Job is trying to figure some things out. And in the midst of suffering, when you're in the middle of a storm, it can be difficult to understand what's happening and what's going on. 
And that's why we need to be careful with what we say and what we think about God. In chapter 7 and verses 20 and 21, listen to Job here. He said, have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why is this happening to me, Lord? Did I bring this upon myself? What have I done to you, God? And why have you set me as your target so that I'm a burden to myself? You're attacking me. I want to know why. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me, but I will not be. You hear the intensity in Job as he's talking to God in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Look at chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And again, this is the benefit of looking in these middle part, the middle part of this book. Because we learn a lot about how we should respond. We learn a lot about Job. In Job chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Job would go on to say, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? God is doing this. This is what's happening to me. This is, this is why I'm going through this. In fact, Job would increase his intensity, his intensity as he spoke to God. He, he wanted to have a conversation with the Lord. He would go on to say in chapter 23, look over in chapter 23, man, if I could just find the Lord, I would have a talk with him. And I would have to get some things squared away with him. In Job chapter 23, and I want you to notice Job chapter 23 and verse number 3, look at what Job said here. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I'm looking for the Lord and I can't find him. Because I've been all by myself. Now, we know the rest of the story. God was with him the entire time. But he said, oh, I wish I could, where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. I need to find the Lord. I need to have a serious conversation. I need to get some things squared away here. What do you think about all that? Did Job have all the pieces? Of course not. He's trying to put some things together. He wanted that conversation with the Lord. Job concluded some things about God that were not so. Yet there was another individual, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, who was the other man? Name starts with an E, Elihu, the young man. And he would wait until everybody else got done speaking. And then he would chime in. And it appears that he may have been closer to the truth about the situation. I want you to look at chapter 35 and verse number 16. In chapter 35 and verse number 16, as Elihu now is talking to Job, I want you just to notice a couple of verses here and what Elihu has to say. And I think there's some wisdom here. In Job chapter 35 and verse number 16, he said, So Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies words without knowledge. Job, you don't have all the facts. You don't know, you don't know everything that's taking place here, Job. You're opening your mouth, and yet you don't have all the knowledge. In chapter 34 and verse number 35, Elihu would say the same thing. Job speaks without knowledge and his words are without wisdom. Job, what are you doing? You don't have all the details about what's taking place here. And he was essentially, I think, telling him, you be careful what you say about God. He said that Job had spoken without knowledge. Now, remember back in Job chapter 23, what did Job want? I want a one-on-one talk with God. Now, be careful what you ask for. Because you may get it. <laughs> and that's exactly what Job got. God said, okay, and I love this text in Job chapter 38. Now, he's going to get this conversation. 
but it's a pretty much one-sided conversation, okay? Because when the Lord begins to speak, Job doesn't really have that much to say. Job chapter 38 and verse number 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That sounds just like Elihu. Job, what are you doing? I love verse 3. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. God said, I've been hearing everything you've been saying, Job. I've heard everything you've said. So let me ask you a couple of questions. He's, he's going to ask him more than one question. He's going to ask him dozens and dozens of questions to help Job to see, Job, you don't really understand what's going on here. In Job chapter 38 and verse number 4, he said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He could have stopped right there. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? <laughs> or who stretched the line on it? Job, you think you know everything? Then, then explain how I created everything. You see, Job did not have all of the facts, and God is going to help them to see, help Job to see, I'm God, you're not. And even though you're in the midst of suffering, you're going through a lot of terrible situations right now, make sure you understand who is really in control. Now, God is going to speak to Job, and when you get over to chapter 40, I want you to notice in chapter 40, and let's read the first four verses there, God's still talking. And in chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, verse number 1, now verse number 2, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? That language says a lot. God is saying, you're, trying to, you're finding fault in me? Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, now remember, this is what Job wanted. I want to find God because I need to set some things straight. Job's now been set straight. In verse number three, the Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Sometimes the best thing to do in suffering is just to keep our mouths quiet. Just to put our hands over our mouth just for a little bit. When we start to think we got it all figured out and that God is always the problem, maybe we just need to take a step back. Because Job is in the midst of talking to the Lord and he says, I get it. And yet God's going to continue to talk to him. Job, I really want to make sure you get this. So by the time we get to Job chapter 42, in verse number 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. God, I've been off on this. <laughs> I've, I've mistaken you for, with, with what some of the things I've been saying and thinking throughout this entire ordeal. What's the point of all this? Be careful. This includes all of us. We need to be careful what we think about God and how, what we say to God and how we view him in the midst of suffering. Because we don't have all the facts. Because we're not God. Because we don't have all those details. Like Job's friends, we make wrong assumptions in the middle of a storm. We can quickly blame God. We can assume that he's the one shooting us with those arrows and poisoning us. That he is finding fault with us. 
we can assume that he's the source of all of our problems. And as I said, maybe we just need to hear from Elihu to help us to be careful with what we say about the Lord. God is not the problem. He's always going to be the solution. But this is a challenge with storms because storms are hard to navigate, aren't they? In the midst of the fog and the confusion and being tired and all the difficulties that come in the storm, we can begin to assume some things and think some things that simply are not so. Therefore, we need to be careful about jumping to conclusions about our Father in heaven. You see, in the middle of a storm, in the midst of the storm, it will be beneficial for us to do this, to make sure that we wait on the Lord. And when we look in the book of Job, again, in these middle chapters, we see that this is what this is what Job was doing. We have to give Job some credit because when you go to Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, and I'm not saying that Job always had it all together, but there were times it appeared that he was strong in the middle of suffering. In Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job never departed from the Lord. He certainly had some questions and, and challenges, but his hope was still in the Lord. In Job chapter 14 and verse number 14, Job said, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. That's great. That's the mindset that Job had. But Job was just like us. Job was just like us, where he'd have these highs and he'd have these lows and these challenges. And and one day he's strong, and the next day he's trying to figure out, I don't understand what's happening here. And Elihu, his friend, go to Job chapter 35, he would remind him of the same thing. Job, you're going to have to wait on the Lord. In Job chapter 35 and verse number 14, I want you to write this or mark this and listen to what Elihu said. Elihu, he would go on to say in verse 14, how much less when you say you do not behold him, the case is before him, and you must wait for him. God sees what you're going through. Now you have to wait on him. He knows what you're going through. He was there in the beginning. He created all things. So he understands what you're going through. Elihu would remind Job of of God and his power, his nature, his wisdom. Because of his power and wisdom, Job needed to wait upon him. In fact, God is going to remind Job in chapters 38 going to chapter 42 about his power and all the wonderful acts and, and deeds that he had performed. Job would have to wait upon the Lord. In the midst of suffering, Benjamin Lee must wait upon the Lord, and so must you. But let's be honest here, okay? Who likes to wait upon the Lord? Who likes to wait? We're impatient, which, by the way, patience was one of the virtues that we've been going through this year, right? The fruit of the Spirit is patience. There may be someone right now becoming impatient with this sermon. When's this sermon going to be over? i got stuff to do. We don't like to wait sometimes. Amazon Prime is really good, but why Amazon Prime? You can have Amazon Day. That's what I want. I want stuff the same day. I want things the same hours. I do not want to wait. Did you go out to lunch today? You get a little bit impatient waiting to get set, set, seated at a table? We don't like to wait on things. We want to get things done. We want things done right now. So how much more magnified and difficult is it when it comes to our health, our children, or someone in the congregation, whatever the challenge may be, it's challenging at times to wait. And quite frankly, we don't always like to hear this idea, wait on the Lord. But it's exactly what we need to hear. That's exactly what Job needed to hear. But that raises another question. Have you ever thought about what it means to actually wait on the Lord? 
I hear people saying that. I use it in sermons. Wait on the Lord. Let's go to point number three. But what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Have you thought about that? What does that look like? Does it mean that we just smile and ignore the pain, the agony, the negative emotions that we're experiencing, the challenging situations that we go through? We just pretend like nothing's going on? I don't think it means that at all. But if it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Maybe we can sum it up with one word, faith. The idea is that we're going to have to trust in the Lord no matter what happens. Question for you. How long was Job scratching those boils all over his body? How long was Job having to hear his wife and see his wife suffer? She lost her children too and all that she had. How long was Job in the midst of suffering? I don't know the answer, but we have some clues. Remember in Job chapter 2, his friend sat with him for how long? One week. So we know he was suffering for at least a week. Then in Job chapter 29, I believe it's in Job chapter, Job chapter 29 in verse number 1, Job says something here in verses 1 and 2. It says, and Job again took up his discourse and said, oh, that I were as in months go, gone by. So it appears that he was suffering for at least a few months. But that's all the details we really get. It may have been a few months. It may have been a few years that Job found himself in that middle of suffering, in the midst of suffering. I don't know how long he was suffering, but, but Job would have to have faith on the Lord. in the Lord. He would have to wait upon the Lord. He would have to recognize that his hope was found in God. And he held on to the Lord. He need, would have to trust in him, even when he didn't always understand it. Think about this. If Job had given up on God, think how differently chapter 42 would have been. Job needed to have faith in God. It's what he needed, and it's exactly what we need as we wait upon the Lord. Job would hear from God, and it helped him to put his suffering in the right perspective. We've already seen those passages where he would hear from the Lord, and we need to do the same thing. In the middle of suffering, guys, as we wait for the Lord, we need to hear from him. He's not going to speak to us in some whirlwind. He's not going to speak to us in a dream. He's not going to speak to us in a small, still voice. But we need to be hearing from God on a regular basis. Can I get an amen? And we hear from him as we open up his word. We need to hear from him as we wait for him. Job, someone said this, he saw the darkest side of life. He heard the deepest silence of God, and yet he still believed. I don't know what you're going through. But one person, as I said last week, does. God does. And you need to trust in him. I must trust in him. Now, we can give up on God if we want. We can curse God and die. That's what the devil wants us to do. Curse God and die. Give up on him. But God says, I want you to wait upon me. And if you curse God and die, if I decide to do that, it's not going to necessarily, it's not going to improve the situation. What's it going to change? Or we're going to spend eternity. In the midst of suffering, we need to hear from God as Job did. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Well, there's always something we can do. We can hear from the Lord. If you go back to Job chapter 1, what was Job doing even after he lost everything? He was worshiping God. There's always something that we can do. Now, again, this is easy to say up here, and it's very difficult when Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday come, and we're all in the middle or we're in the middle of facing some difficult challenges. But just like Job, he waited upon the Lord. 
And I believe it looked like faith. That's, the, that's how I would sum it all up. He had faith in God. And what do we find? We find that he was committed to God. As a result of that, his situation did change. As we think about what we need to do in the middle of suffering, we need to hold on to this last thought here tonight and to know that all is going to end well. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that all is going to end well? It's a storybook ending in Job chapter 42. Go to Job chapter 42 and look at verse number 12. In Job chapter 42, after all these events took place in Job chapter 42 and verse number 12, or let's start in verse number 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, which is interesting too. There's a lot to say about that. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all of his brothers and all of his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, which makes it sound like they all deserted him. He was all by himself during this time. And they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. You drop down to verse number 16. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. Sounds just like Abraham, doesn't it? Man, what an amazing story. All ended well for Job. He lost his children at the beginning, and he would never forget those children. Yet he would be blessed with more. But what if the last chapter didn't end this way? What if he didn't get all those animals? What if he didn't get those ten children? What if his brothers and sisters never came back over and spent time with him? Could we say that all still would end well for Job? How would you answer that question? I think we could still say yes. If he remained with the Lord. It's kind of hard to think about, though, isn't it? Because look at all the things he endured physically and emotionally, financially. It all still could end well for Job, even if his physical situation did not change. So the question for us tonight is, (coughs) excuse me, will our lives in tough situations end well the way they did for Job? That's what I want. And isn't that what you want? That things to end in like Job chapter 42, you can't make up a better ending. That's perfect. But I can't guarantee that that's how everything is going to be. The answer could be yes. The answer could be no. It could be that what we're going through will improve. Think about all the individuals who suffered in the Bible. Joseph suffered for about 13 years. Yet his situation would change for the better. Hezekiah was on his deathbed, and he prayed, and God would grant him 15 more years of life. Hannah prayed fervently for a child. God blessed her. Abraham and Sarah struggled for years not having a son, and yet God would bless them. We could go on and on. But what if the situation doesn't improve? For all of the the stories where individuals, their lives change, There are other individuals that their lives did not change. We just read about Stephen. He was stoned to death. Paul still had the thorn in his flesh, even though he prayed three times to have it removed from him. What about John the Baptist? He spent his last days in a damp prison cell, then got his head cut off. 
What's up with that? It's a great prophet preparing the way for the Messiah. Did their situation still end well? Could they say that everything still ended well? I believe the answer to that, my friend, is yes. It's because they were with the Lord. They were following God. And I think that's the reason why we can say the same thing. Even if our situation may not change the way that we want it to, I believe we can still possibly, or I believe we can still say that all is going to end well. Here's the reason why. Because we are Christians. It's because we are Christians. It is because we are Christians. We are in Christ. And we have something to look forward to, no matter what happens on this side of life. Paul's circumstances did not end well physically on this side of life. But remember what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I got something I'm, I'm looking forward to. I got something ahead that I can't wait to get to. I've, I've finished my race. I've finished my course. I'm going to receive my crown in heaven. Stephen, his situation did not improve, but he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God as Jesus looked down and saw what he was enduring. What about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6? Turn over there real quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, this was a book written to people who were suffering, to the saints who were scattered. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6, Peter would remind them, actually look at verse number Verse number three, he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been distressed by various trials. Christians will go through trials. We will suffer on this side of life. And as Peter wrote to the saints, he said, listen, you're going through some difficult days. But even in the midst of suffering, you can know, you can believe and be confident that all will still end well. That's what we need to believe. That's the type of faith that we need to have no matter what may happen on this side of life. Now, remember at the beginning I told you that we're all going to experience suffering. Suffering is not going to make you unique. It's not going to make me unique. But there is something that can make us a little bit different than a lot of people. I want you to think about this here. Suffering does not make you unique. How you respond to it is what will make you unique. I think that's a powerful statement. Because we get to decide how we are going to respond to the situations that we face in our lives. Job, while he struggled, he never let go of his faith. He remained with the Lord. Thankfully, he did not listen to his wife and curse God and die. He was still with him. Let's be sure that we do the same. Let's always go back to the cross. Jesus suffered. And yet, because of his suffering, because of his deliverance from delivering us from our sins, we can always have hope. So let's make sure that we decide to respond the proper way. Thank you for your attention this evening. If you're suffering, Jesus is the one that you need to continue to turn to. We will suffer in this life. We'll suffer because of our faith. But we're so thankful that we have hope of eternal life. If you're not a child of God, you need to become one right now. You need Jesus.
You need to be saved from your sins. And you can do that if you believe he is the Son of God, if you're willing to turn away to repent of your sins and to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Is that what you need to do? If that's what you need to do, if you're just struggling right now, we invite you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing. Bye.